Are you pounding the miles, getting ready for Boston? Or are you like me, suffering from the February blues? Maybe you're on the shelf, injured. doesn't really matter. You need to be hydrated, and you need to do it properly. you got to try Drink Element, drinklmnt.com slash let's run. It's electrolytes without the junk. No sugar, no artificial flavors. This stuff is tremendous. I love it. Hundreds of you, I don't know, maybe thousands of you by now have taken advantage of this offer. They will send you a free sample pack, six different flavors. You pay $5 shipping. If you don't like it, I personally will refund your $5. Not a single person has taken me up on that offer to get their money refunded. So do it today. Drink lmnt.com slash let's run. Link in the show notes. Here's the pod. Welcome everyone to this week's episode of the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast. It is the first show of February and we have a lot to discuss. The 114th Milrose Games are in the books. Let's Run.com had boots on the ground in New York. Neither snow nor rain nor delayed trains stopped us from being at the Armory on Saturday. Well, at least one of us. One Athletics Club put on a show there with wins in the men's mile and both 3Ks. Christian Coleman returned with a victory in the 60 meters. Nick Willis broke four in the mile for the 20th year in a row. And a Ding Mo dropped out with a lap to go in the women's mile. We break down all the winners and losers from a terrific meet on Saturday. And wasn't the only meet of the weekend though. Tim Man Elite rocked the 3K in Boston. Is Tim Man Elite back? We'll break that down. Plus, big piece of news in the New York Times. They have revealed that Safe Sport banned Alberto Salazar last year for life for sexual assault. We will talk to, about that towards the end of the podcast. This is Jonathan Galt. I am joined by my co-hosts, co-founders of Let's Run.com, Robert and Weldon Johnson. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Glad to be here, John. He said wind, snow, sleet didn't stop us from going to the Milrose Games. Didn't stop me from going to the Milrose Games. It's partially correct. Yes, I was not at the Milrose Games. The Metro North trains were running. But yours truly did not make it. I apologize to all the fans out there who wanted to engage with me. The meet, the after party, tremendous Milrose Games. Even with this shot put fiasco. But great beats to watch. I'm glad track and field was back. It looked like a really good crowd considering the weather, John. I thought the crowd was into it. There were some big roars. It was exciting. Saw a lot of familiar faces. I saw a Bedford High School cross-country alum. We had a very nice chat at the Evil Twin after party. Bob, it was a pleasure meeting you. And yeah, well, then it's a bummer you weren't able to make it. And, you know, the shot put fiasco, yes, it was a total fiasco that Ryan Krauser, everyone thought he broke the world record, and it turns out he wasn't even close. But that's what makes our sport. I mean, I'm not applauding it. It's better if it doesn't happen, but it does also give us something to talk about 
today. So I don't know. It's an interesting story, but I'd rather not be talking about it. Robert, what did you make of all the action at Milrose? Milrose? I didn't watch it, John. Since I wasn't the television commentator, I've decided to boycott all TV shows until I'm the color commentator. I was basking in the glow the pre-meet press conference when Weldon ran into one of the most prominent members, most powerful and influential members of the track and field community. Apparently this individual had watched me broadcast the 2021 NCAA uh, Ivy League Cross Country Championships by myself on my phone when I didn't even really know who was running in the meet. And this powerful person said the broadcast was amazing and the future of television broadcasting. So please, sir or woman, help me rise to the top. My ego was already big, but now it's even bigger. Made me feel good. Made me feel good. I'm not going to lie. There may be a little hyperbole there. I think I told Robert he said it was the future of broadcasting. Those may not have been the exact words. (laughs) No. But I did run into and it came up. He's like, I really, I watched your brother sort of, Robert was there as a fan running around, trying to keep people updated, interviewing fans. He just said it was very entertaining. So today's, it's peak Robert Johnson day. And meanwhile, Robert will still be pretending that he'll get a broadcasting job without applying for one or making a tape or doing the necessary steps that would lead to someone getting a broadcasting job. Well, wait a minute, Robert. I don't know if we've mentioned this on the podcast, but one of the fellow parents at your kid's school is the producer of NBC's track and field broadcasts. So if you want to put together a tape and apply for this position, I imagine it would be pretty easy to get it into our hands. Is this something you're actually going to do, or is this just another one of your harebrained schemes and, you know, to get-rich-quick schemes that never really pans out. John, it's better to have brilliant ideas and never act on them than you could think, oh, I had it, but I didn't do it, instead of to risk being rejected. Yeah, that's a true story. I don't think we did say it on the podcast, but came back from Tokyo, was feeling pretty good about myself of being one of the select few to to get to go into the Olympic Stadium, only credential media. And uh, I was picking my kid up from preschool, and the lady in charge is like, oh, you need to meet someone else's mother. like." Um, she also went to Tokyo. So I start talking to her. She happened to be right there. I was like, oh, you went to Tokyo for like, what event were you covering? She's like track and field. I'm like, oh, really? I do track and field. She's like, what do you work on? I'm like, she's like television. I'm like, well, what do you do? She's like, I'm in charge. <laughs> so Betsy Riley, she's actually a, a groundbreaking woman. She's the first woman to lead the track and field coverage for NBC. So um, we've chatted a couple times at the Pick up, but now my son is not in. I think in the summer they were in the same class, but now they're not in the same class. I don't see her as much. I mean, the other kid has probably progressed. Robert, John, Robert's kid's probably being held back. This kid's going on to bigger things, not afraid to risk it. Wow, you're casting aspersion at your own nephew. Well, then, Uh, even I think that's out of bounds. All right, let's talk Milrose. A lot of races to discuss, a lot of winners, a lot of losers. That's kind of how I want to frame this. Recap. I mean, to me, the big winner of the day has to be on Athletics Club. This is a group that didn't even exist this time two years ago. They show up. 
I would say the biggest indoor meet in the country, at least the one that gets the most attention. You know, it's not a national championships, but not all of Vaughn's runners can run at the national championships. But they go out, they win the want to make a mile on the men's side with Oli Hoare. Jordy Beamish wins the race of the day, the men's 3K. And Alicia Monson puts on a dominant performance, 831 in the women's 3K, number four all time in the US in that event. Look, if they, talk, you know, this was, a, this was a dominant performance. And I know it's January, so I want to take this with a grain of salt. If they show up to the world championships and they all get smoked, maybe we say they peaked too early. But for now, I think it's worth getting excited about. And it's pretty impressive. And it's also the first meet on debut their new spikes. Previously, most of their athletes were racing in Nikes. Ollie Hoare still wore Nikes to win the one to make a mile. He says that they didn't have a new spike in his size. But Jordy Beamish and Alicia Monson both wore the new on spikes and both looked pretty good doing it. So I think they're the big winner for me. Definitely a big weekend for the OAC. I mean, you couldn't do pretty much any better than they did. And interesting story from the press conference. Was talking to a OAC designer and big Nike exec came over. As a Nike exec left, the OAC designer said, we're coming for you. And at the time, I just kind of like, huh? The Nike guy kind of looked and was like, okay, you know. And at this meet, that the, they, I'm sure maybe if you look at overall winners who know sprints and that stuff, but they couldn't do any better distance wise. Now let's not get too carried away. You know, they have zero Olympic medals, but they're signing more people. It's good. It's exciting. I guess some of the athletes even ran in their new shoes. And I think that's becoming the new thing. We're starting to see the super spikes. It's important. Does your brand have a super spike now? And, but great running. Ritz's team has just done great. But is it a coincidence, John? What team do we profile last year? What team paid Let's Run to sort of profile them last year? OAC. Boom, 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 boom. What team the year before did that? Oh, Hoka. Boom, boom, boom. Who won the Olympic marathon trials? The Let's Run jinx is over, baby. By the way, if you want to become the official shoe of Let's Run, I really think we should have a long-term official shoe. These companies now are dropping six figures on, like, C-team NCAA athletes for a, for a, for a one-year salary. So if you have that type of cash, you can become the official shoe, and then I'll slurp you all the time. Otherwise, I'm not going to be praising companies like Weldon. You know, they had a great meet, and the team is doing amazing. I mean, I feel like they're getting a lot of results, a lot of publicity. That's good, but they kind of have an advantage in the fact of not that many international athletes come over to Milrose, and they have a lot of international athletes on their team. I mean, we can get into this later, but the 10,000 was right there on Daniel Cummins' world record. Ends up 726.20. You don't think he would have won this race if he was in it? Well, that's sort of one of the running storylines with Milrose, right? Is that it's usually the North, it's like the North American based championships for some of these races. And we saw it a few years ago, Yomif Kajelcha shows up. I guess he was based in North America, but he shows up, he runs the mile. He he just runs way too fast for anyone to even come up. He runs 348 
and crushes everyone. So yeah, I do agree. If Berahu Aragawi, who was trying to break the world record and rank great in Karlsruhe, was in there, I don't think anyone's really close to him. And by the way, that broadcast, I watched the Karlsruhe broadcast. Whoever was in charge of producing that race did a horrible, horrible job. Because the announcers, Chris Temple and Jenny Meadows, they were actually doing very well. They understood it was a world record attempt, and they were playing it up. They were saying how aggressive Aragawi was. He was trying to move past the paces early in the race. It was really exciting to watch. And they were trying to give us updates. But the last three laps of the race, we were, instead I was watching field eventers get ready for their, long, their high jump attempt while this guy is challenging the world record. It was a disservice to the sport. It was really upsetting as a fan. We get to see the final 100 meters, and then they're like, oh, he's not going to get it. Like, come on. I understand you got to show the field events, but not when a guy is three laps away from breaking the world record. It was outrageous. But an outstanding run by Eric Arwee. He's quickly becoming, I think, one of Robert's favorite runners. Like he said, he was fourth in the Olympic 10K. He broke the world record in the Road 5K. He's the Diamond League champion. So he's another young star to watch. And he could get that world indoor record before the season's done. What I'm interested in, I guess, talking about that 3K. So Aragawi... You'd say he might be the early favorite for World Indoors, certainly a medal contender. How do we think these the top three from this men's 3K stack up on the world scene? Because you've got Jordy Beamish. He seems like he's committed to running World Indoors. He ran terrific here. I mean, you close in 25-7 like he did in a 7.39 race. That's going to be competitive for a medal on the global scene. It kind of reminds me Ryan Hill back in 2016 when he showed up. He won... Milrose, and then he gets the silver at World Indoors in the 3K. And Cooper Tier and Cole Hawker, they weren't far behind him. You know, both of them run 739 as well. And final lap for Tier is 26.4. Final lap for Hawker is 26.5. That's still pretty good. So, do we think any of these guys are in with a chance at meddling at World Indoors? Well, it's pretty interesting. And there's a, uh, there's a, Thread on the message board about Cole Hawker's kick. Say it with me. Cole Hawker's kick is overrated, but Beamish's close was ridiculous, 25-7. Um, you're right, John. That's super, super competitive. Does anyone remember? Let's test John because I know Weldon doesn't remember this. Does anyone remember the last time World Indoors was held? And what happened in the men's 3000? Because I've done a little research. 2018 Birmingham, and Yomif Kajelcha successfully defended his title. I want to say it it was pretty slow. Wasn't the winning time, like, was it 8-11, Robert? Am I getting that right? Oh no way, John. You did God. not. I'm on Wikipedia. You do that straight from memory? Okay. John's pretty class. I think it went out in 448 for the mile or something ridiculous. I was reading our recap. We'll link to it in the show notes. I'm going to write that down. I'm always saying we'll link to it in the show notes, and we never do it. But I have the recap here. But the winning time was close to 8.11. 8.14, 41. Kajelcha won by more than a full second over Borrega. Um, Shadrach Kipchichir actually had the lead at one point and ended up eighth. But the final lap in that... This is an 8:14 race. It was only 26:82, and he won by more than a second. Now it was kind of like you know they were slamming it home 
for a while there. But yeah, but you know, it's it's interesting to think, you know, and they were saying this in some of the broadcasts. Oh, you don't want to keep it slow because then the kickers have a shot. But normally to me, it's still, I'm like, no, they don't. Not if they're not fit because it's not going to matter. Like just because you're faster than someone at 1500 meter doesn't mean you're going to have the best kick. But I think for Beamish, he was kind of getting dropped in this race. When was it when he was losing contact? So, sort of at the start of the final kilometer, I believe. You know, if it's worlds and it's faster, he's going to get dropped. He's not going to, the 25 8's not going to do anything there. So, could he medal? Yes. But I think it's unlikely. First of all, who's, uh, do we have any idea what Ingerbritton's going to do? Is he going to double? I don't know. It depends. I mean, yeah, if Ingerbritton's in there, I would put him to medal ahead of Beamish. But, I don't know. I like his chances. I think, and I think Cole Hawker, if he runs world indoors, I would expect it to be in the mile. Like to re- to refer to that thread, Robert, his kicks overrated. I don't know. For his first race since the Olympics, still looked pretty good to me. And he's, he basically said that after the race, he was like, he thinks, I think he thinks he's fitter than he was this year, this time last year, because he said, they're going off to the American record in the mile in a couple of weeks in Chicago. Well, he ran a fast mile last year indoors 350 and did not break the American record. So he's bullish on his fitness. And I think he's just thinking his kick is going to come around. So I'm not, look, he got beat, but he got beat by two outstanding runners. So I'm not too worried about Cole Hawker. Well, we talked, let's take a step back again and talk more about the biggest winners and losers. To me, one of the biggest winners was Cooper Tier. I know Beamish technically won the race, but this reminded me of NCAA indoors. When NCAA, when Hawker when Tier lost to Hawker, everyone wrote Hawker off. I mean Tier off, and I said, it seems to me like he was shocked by this. He didn't expect it. And I know Hawker was tired coming back from the mile, and he still beat him. But do we know that Hawker is definitely better than Tier? And John had heard, oh, Hawker's better than Tier. Blah blah blah. That's not what I saw. Cooper Tier beat Cole Hawker in this race. He's run 350 in the mile. And as good as those guys in the mile were, Josh Kerr got the win over, or her, or Ollie Hoare got the win over Josh Kerr. Kerr. Um, and by the way, could Ollie Hoare medal in the, in the 3K? I mean, he's very fit. But as good as those guys were in the Wanamaker mile, it's shocking to me that Tier and Hawker ran faster at the NCA level last year than the Wanamaker Mile. I know it's set up as a time trial, but Cooper Tier is a is a massive talent. I thought he had a great weekend. I thought this is very good for him. I would like to see him actually win something so he can get the credit that he deserves. But, you know, I, I think that Cooper Tier in a loss was a big winner over the weekend. I agree with you on that, Robert. He was outstanding. And just that men's 3K, I mean, we're talking about sort of the outcomes and things moving forward. That was the moment of the meet for me, that final 100 and Jordy Beamish just steaming by on the inside. Cooper Tier thinking he's got Cole Hawker beat and then he looks inside and he's like, oh shit, I totally forgot. I didn't realize there was anyone there. It's too late. He sort of tries digging a little harder and then Beamish winning in the kick and throwing his arms out across the finish line, embarking on the quickest victory lap we've ever seen. Mike Smith, his former coach at NAU, like climbs the railing on the edge of the track at the armory just to extend his arm for a high five. 
Jordy Beamish gives him the high five. The crowd was going wild. They did not care that Beamish is a New Zealander taking down two Americans. I was just looking around at all sort of the agents and the media that they we all watch from the same sort of area past the first turn. Everyone was just like, that was freaking sick. So that was awesome. I'm really glad they put that field together and kudos to the athletes for, for an outstanding race. Well, first let's give Beamish his due, what you guys are doing, but he's made huge progressions in my mind this year or the last six months. He was the NCAA champion at NAU in the indoor mile. Do you guys know what his fastest indoor mile was the year he was the NCAA champion? I believe it was 4.06, Weldon. Correct. He never ran a mile under 4.06 that year. He got into NCAAs because they did this altitude conversion. He ran it a 4.06 at 7,000 feet. They converted to sub-4. And then the NCAA meet was super slow. So this guy was known for doing really well in super slow races. Last year, he joins the OAC. He doesn't make the Olympics because he's not fast enough. He ran 337 and was a 1331 guy. But he progressed. He was kind of injured, adapting to the training, that sort of stuff. And come December, he took it to another level. Ran 1312 indoors for 5K. And then I'm like, wow, this guy's got pretty good endurance. Ritz is, you know, coming at step from the strength side. And he put it all together in this race. Sure, he got dropped, but I think his strength is stronger. And that kick is crazy. He shows he has a great kick. If you can win a 406 slow NCAA mile, you have a tremendous kick. And that actually reminds me, you guys said, could he medal? If we remember, Ryan Hill got a medal at the 2016 Worlds in 3K, he got a silver medal. Ryan Hill was sort of known having a great kick in slow races. And I think Beamish is, is pretty similar, similar guy. He's probably got better mile speed. So just big step up in class for him. He's just now got to learn now how to stay on the pace because I think at World Indoors, you can't fall that far back. I'm sorry. You're not going to come back. It's just slightly higher quality. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think that, look, the big thing for him, he's a big talent. He just has to stay healthy. When he won NCAA Indoors, I talked to him after that race. He said, this is my 11th season as a lumberjack, and I've been injured in all 11 of them, maybe five of them season ending. So I think the biggest thing for him is he's been able to put together a block of close to a year of healthy training. And we saw last year he won the Prefontaine International Mile. Remember, Craig Engel celebrated early. Well, Jordy Beamish won that race. I think he won at Sir Walter Myler. Then he runs the 13-12 in December. And now he's continuing to roll with this win at Milrose. So if he can stay healthy all the way through March and through July, yeah, we'll see what he does outdoors. But if he can stay healthy through March, I think he's a contender to medal at World Indoors. Maybe we save this discussion for next week. But it also came out after the race that Cole Hawker, Cooper Tier, they're going for the American record in the mile next week at the new track facility in Chicago. And I, I, we say Cooper Tier doesn't get his due. But I think there's a decent chance Cooper tears your American record holder in the mile. What? 11 days from now? He's never lost to Cole Hawker in a mile. Slash 1500. How, how cool. These young guys, major props to them. They set up their own mile American record attempt. I mean, I, I've been waiting my the last 
decade for Galen Rupp to go for the goddamn American record in the, in the men's marathon. So many people are afraid to race. Huh. I mean, Centro goes to Milrose and sh shows up on post-race video shows. Why isn't he racing? Like, come on. Like, these guys are super talented and they're enjoying racing and they're going after it. So kudos to them and Ben Thomas. I hope when they're more, even bigger names in the, year, in the years down the road, they don't stop racing because it's fun for the fans. And it's it's very exciting. Let's turn to some of the other winners of Milrose and talk about that. Christian Coleman, first short sprint race back since his ban, gets the win in the 60. Wasn't a surprise as good as he in the 60. Barely beat Bromel. Very good race there. But, John, I was curious, and I didn't really get a sense of this, is after the race, did he talk about how hard the ban was mentally? Did it, you know, it sounded like he just kept going and training on his own. It really wasn't that different. He just couldn't run in races, but he just kept everything going as he normally did he seemed to have a pretty healthy mindset about it robert i think when it initially broke and announced he was going to be suspended he was devastated and then he said going through the appeals process and those hearings that was also very tough for him but once that was finalized and his appeal was denied well they reduced the ban to 18 months but it still meant he was going to miss the olympics shortly after that he was able to just put it behind him he was able to accept look this isn't going to happen but you know what I'm going to miss the Olympics, but I have this unprecedented stretch of global championships coming up beginning in 2022. So he has a world indoor title to defend this year. He has a world outdoor title to defend this year. And then 2023, 2024, 2025, you've got outdoor championships. He's still only 25 years old. He's going to have his chance still. So he looked at it that way. He's like, look, I've got a lot of things to look forward to. He basically trained like it was a normal year. He did these sort of race simulations, he said. But you can't simulate the adrenaline of being on a starting line, of having really world-class guys like Trayvon Bromel or Ronnie Baker in the lanes next to you. So that was the one thing he wasn't, you know, he hadn't quite, got, quite gotten. And he got that on Saturday. He responded very well. 649, that's perfectly fine. It's not the vintage Christian Coleman, but the Armory isn't a super fast track. He beat some really good guys. I saw everything I wanted to see from Coleman in that race. I was very interested in Bromel as well because Bromel ran well, but then after the race, I was talking, I'm like, oh man, you know, you almost got Coleman at the end there. And he, I think it's, maybe it's just the way Bromel tries to think about it mentally. Like he was trying to act like it wasn't a big deal because obviously these guys are going to be big rivals outdoors for the 100 meter global title. You might have these two along with Jacobs, is kind of the favorites. And he was like, yeah, you know, I got out lean and I looked over, I was kind of laughing. I'm like, man, we're just going to be doing this all year, aren't we? I was like, he was almost hinting as if he didn't lean at the line or he wasn't trying to win once he saw, you know, he got that close to Coleman. I don't think that's exactly what he said, but I think it was his efforts to try and downplay in his mind that he got beaten. He's only running a couple, he's running, I think, the next the New Balance Indoor Grand Prix is running the 200 there this weekend, and that's it for Bromel. So I thought he ran well in this race as well. I'm excited to see these two American stars fit. I think it's going to be a good rivalry this year, but round one goes to Coleman. Well, I really wish he was doing World Indoors. We can talk about this later, but we have this amazing championship. I think it's a little bit too late in the season. They had it at the end of February. People could do it and then keep going to their outdoor season. But that was big. Nick Willis breaks four for the 20th year in a row. 
John, this is the list of the winners that John has. Ajay Wilson. I mean, did you expect anything else, John? For I mean, I guess Natalia Gold is pretty good, but I expect her to win 800. She did. I expected um, her to win, but she, it was the way she looked, Robert. She looked like vintage Ajay Wilson to me, controlling the race from the front. They're really I, halfway. I was like, there's no doubt she's going to win this race. This is what she always does. I know the time wasn't anything to write home about. It was only 2138. But she was a dominant winner here, and she looked like the RJ Wilson of old. So I thought that was a win for her. And she said, you know, I asked her after the race, Robert, we know she was dealing with some off-the-track stuff in 2021. And I said, is that issue behind you in 2022? And she said that it is. And she still didn't want to elaborate, but that to me is a win for Wilson. Should I offer $500 if somebody tells me what that was? It's really bothering me. We don't know what it was, but Good for her. Yeah. Okay. I understand why you have her as the winner. That that makes sense, I guess. Because I guess the alternative was if she didn't look like that, I would have stuck a fork and written her off kind of as a, as a global player. So she looks like she could still be, you know, a, an important person there. But I mean, she just needs to tell Robert to go away, man. It's just defensive. Yeah. We're not owed every detail of these athletes' personal lives, Robert. I think you need to understand that. But Okay, then say, then say it's something in your personal life. I'm assuming it's an injury. And I feel like we have a right to know about the injury, just like you do in the NFL. But at this, you don't have a right. They don't have to tell you anything. And she's made it clear she's not going to tell you. So quit harping on it. I'm just sort of like so done with it. It's like, I don't know. It's like, I don't, at some point, you don't ask Justin Gatlin about drugs every single time. Okay. You got to let bygones be bygones. But we don't have any, John doesn't have listed as the winners. The two biggest women's winners of the actual meet in terms of the women's mile goes to Ellie Perrier St. Pierre. And then in the women's 3000, Alicia Monson. I guess that's kind of because we expected both those things, those races to play out exactly as the way they did. And Jonathan and I yesterday talked to New Balance Boston coach Mark Coogan. Supporting club members, it will be dropping into your podcast feeds. It's the perfect. Oh, it's already there. Oh, it's already there. So, folks, go to letsrun.com slash subscribe if you're not a VIP right now. Otherwise, we will put up the, we took a YouTube video of it, put that up for the non-subscribers, but that's a pain in the ass to watch. Mark's camera was a little dirty, etc. Podcast is so much more convenient. But it was interesting, fascinating talk. I enjoy, I really love talking to him. But we didn't even really talk to him about the Milrose win because we just expected it. It was like, oh, you know, she's really good. She won. Um, but we had some good talks about how, you know, what is the training dynamic with her and Heather McLean. But by far, to me, the most interesting thing was, many people may not know this, New Balance is opening up its new indoor, and it has, has built its own indoor track, and it'll be opening up next year. It's almost done. And John lives in Boston. John was like, why do we need another indoor track in Boston? But this is going to be the first, like, spectator-friendly indoor track in Boston, maybe in the country, really. Um, and it's just going to be amazing. They're going to host NCAs. They're going to try to host World Indoors. This is going to be like the Hayward Field of indoor tracks. This is going to be, I think, the place to be. They're trying to make it the fastest track in the world. It's going to be absolutely amazing. And it got, really, got me really pumped to think, Hayward gets all this publicity for outdoor track, but most meets, we can't get the fans big enough for an outdoor track. Indoor track is more exciting. Everyone's right there. 
this is going to be amazing. I thought it was interesting how he talked about Heather McQueen because I view her as like a B to Purier and A, even they're both Olympians. And he's like, no, Heather views herself as like maybe a year behind. And I sit her down, sit her down, and I'm like, you got to think about how you can win this Melrose Mile. Which you got to have that mindset if you're Heather McQueen or her coach. So I applaud that. And the track, Robert, yeah, this thing, it, it's amazing. I'm just going to play a clip from the Let's Run.com Pro Coaches Tour Talk with Mark Coogan. We're going to start growing a little bit more, I think, in the next couple of years. We get the new, the new track. We get the new track on March 1st, I think. So we'll have our new facility on March 1st. <laughs> and then that's going to be a really great recruiting tool because we're going to have you know, we're going to have our own locker room in there, special lockers, chairs, you know, hot tubs, cold tubs, Alter G, you know, like my office is going to be in there, you know, dining area. We have all these great tracks here, but we don't have NCAA championships here. We don't have like the New Balance High School Nationals here. We can't, we don't have world indoor champs here. Like those type of races are going to be coming. NCAAs is here in a couple of years. ACCs are here next winter. It's got to be the most, the nicest track in the world, you know, most beautiful, most seats, like everything, the accommodations in there. Like, it's just, it's unbelievable. And they're trying to, they're trying to make it the fastest track in the world too. So it's like, I think it's one of the few hydraulic tracks and, and it might be the only hydraulic track in the world that's built on boards. There you have it. Put a couple clips together, together there. We heard some of the silence, but I think. Yeah, John, this is going to be the premier track in the United States. Yeah, I, I'm very excited as a you know, Massachusetts resident to see that we have the NCAA indoors coming in 2024, maybe beyond that. But all right, back to Milrose here. We're talking about winners and losers. I was going to transition to losers, but this person we're going to talk about next might be a, Robert, I think, is trying to make the case that they were actually a winner. And it's a thing, Mo, who stepped off. She went with the leaders in the want to make a mile. Through 1,400 meters, she was on pace to run 425, which is a huge PR. Her PR is 437. And then she got passed by a few women and stepped off the track. And Robert, after the race, starts a thread. He's lauding her. He's praising her. He's saying this is amazing. Is a thing, Mo, a winner at Milrose, Robert, or is she a loser? Well, for the record, John, the thread that I started right after the race ended was a thing Mo just Mo just dropped out of the women's mile and showed her true greatness. I love her even more. Now, it was hard to see her on the broadcast. I wasn't there. But I just, some people have accused me of trolling my own message boards. I just didn't want to see people ripping a thing Mo for what she did in that race because Remember, we talked about this extensively. Like, what could she do? She's one of the world's very best 400 meters. Could she possibly run a good mile? It just physiologically, it didn't make any sense. And, you know, let's run.com coaching guru John Kellogg said, I'd be stunned if it's faster than 427. He said, you know, 430 plus or minus three seconds. But then I'm like, well, why is she running this race? Like, I can't imagine she's just going to go in there and go out in the back. But a lot of U.S. pros would have done that. They're like, oh, it's an off event. We'll just do it as a workout. And I'm watching this race, and she's right up there, like 210 flat at the halfway. And I'm like, my God, what is she, how is this possible? And they're getting close to like 
just before I guess twelve hundred when she started to slow down. I'm like, oh my gosh! All of a sudden, the, the bear jumped on her back, and then we couldn't see what happened, and she dropped out. But I just thought that's the mindset she has. Weldon talks about running being mental. If that's true, this woman thinks I'm going to win the race. And I actually show in some ways think that this proves that that's not the case. A lot of the champions think it's their mindset. Yeah, the mindset works when you're way better than everybody else in the world. She's way better than everybody else in the world in the 800. And she's almost way better than, else, than everyone in the world in the 400 too. But in the mile, she's not. But I just, I love this. That there was no inhibition. So we, we went, Prefontaine, what does he love for? He went for broke. And he didn't give a shit if he ended up fourth because he ran for the win. She ran for the win here and blew up. And the DNF doesn't really bother me. Do I wish she had finished and gotten a PR? Yes. But I'm not one of these people who's like, oh, I, you never drop out under any sort of circumstance. Like, no. Like, at, at the college meets, you know, we double the kid back who, who won the 1,500 and put him in the 5,000 and say, run up there as long as you can't earn scoring position. Once you can't score, drop out. You know, Weldon made a huge breakthrough in life when he went to the Mount Sac race and said, I'm going to run with the leaders for four miles. And that's what he did. So I guess that's a little bit different than dropping out a race you plan to finish. But I don't have a problem with dropout. I think we saw the mindset of, I'm going to win. But you, John, thought it was ridiculous. And I was getting texts saying, this is ridiculous. I think Mo embarrassed herself. You said you were going to criticize her on the recap. And then I, I had to stop before the recap was finished. I pull it up on my phone and Jonathan Galt's afraid to be afraid to be criticized because Jonathan Galt did not criticize Miss Thing Mo publicly, but privately you were pretty harsh on her in your text messages. I don't want to reveal those to the masses, John, but what happened here? A little scared to to be truthful? So in the heat of the moment, I saw her step off the track. I was just like, wow, that is incredibly lame. And then I sometimes, Robert, in the heat of the moment, you got to assess your emotions and you go that when you, we write something you have to use some nuance and analysis so that's why i was a little bit more restrained on the message boards though i did call what she did weak because it was and look i give her full credit for trying to go out and win the race i thought that was awesome the race was more interesting because she was near the front of the pack through a kilometer of this race i was like oh my god the thing mo's still up there She's not actually going to win this, is this? Is she? I thought it was really exciting. So yes, bravo for going with the pack. But if if you were coaching a high school freshman, Robert, and they dropped out with a lap to go just because they got passed by a couple of people, you'd, you'd talk to them after the race and you'd say, that's not what you do. That is not how you race. And the thing, Mo, is now she would be a sophomore in college. You think if she did this as a collegian and the Texas A&M team that her coach would be like, oh, cool, good decision. No, like, that's not what you do. It's not good sportsmanship to just, once you realize you're not going to win, to just step off the track with 200 meters to go. But look, she's also, you got to consider the context. She's 19 years old. This is her first full professional season. She is running a race against some of the best in the world a distance she's unfamiliar with. And last year, she had basically no setbacks or failures of any kind. She lost to NCAA indoors, but her all outdoor season, she didn't just win. She was dominating and destroying everyone. So she didn't really have to deal with a situation like this where, you know, she's not just getting beat, but getting destroyed. And she didn't deal with it well, but 
this is a learning experience. Hopefully she learns from it and move on. I don't think she should be endlessly ripped for it. I think it was a moment of weakness and every runner has to learn to lose eventually. Hopefully she's learned how to lose and learns from this experience. Okay. I wasn't sure, John, you say that she stepped off the track because they just passed her and that's why she stepped off. I assumed, again, we couldn't see it on the broadcast very well. I assumed that she had stepped off the track because she was about to blow up and run a 45 second lap and was like basically staggering. So blame NBC for that, or I don't know. We can look at the splits here. I mean, she ran a 18 second final 100 meters to get to 350. She still has 200 meters to go. So she probably wouldn't run 40. She probably does not break 430 in that race if she keeps going. I just assume she was tying up so much. It's like, what's the point? So, but I, I agree with you. I, I agree with your point, though. The difference is you in the heat of the moment text me. Mr. Rojo, who's known for having no filter, I've sort of developed a little bit of filter. Instead of text you, that was my equivalent of, I just put up my first thought on the thing as I don't want her being ripped. And one of my main thoughts was, which did you get more out of? Which was a better performance? You know, if there are parents' fees, who earned their parents' fee? I'm happy she did that. I'm happy Craig Ingalls ran with the leaders in the men's mile, even though he finished way back. Uh, you know, did I get more out of a thing, Mo, running the, the off event, the women's mile, than I did Donovan Brazier running the 400 or Raven Rogers running the 400? Absolutely. What about you? No, I, I already made that point. Like, I, I agree. I, it was more interesting race for her going with the leaders than not. Like, but sitting back and... If she'd sat back and ran 4.25, I would have still been incredibly impressed because that's absurd range for a woman who runs 49 mid in the 400 to run that. So either way, I wouldn't have faulted her for doing that. And it is interesting, just to be clear, I don't know if she was injured. I didn't see anything to suggest that she was when she stepped off the track, but she did not speak with the media after the race. All What I do think was interesting is she stepped off the track and... Yeah, I tried to talk to her maybe a minute after she finished. It was very close to when the race ended. And she said, yeah, yeah, I'll come over in a minute. And she was just looking up at the scoreboard and she just sort of had this bemused expression on her face, a little bit of a smile, as if she was just trying to figure out like what had happened. She was trying to process it in the moment, which is you know incredibly difficult. Again, she's 19, so I, I don't blame her for she didn't want to speak to a reporter like a minute after the race. and process this disaster but she was just staring up and staring up and then just she just repeated you know it's okay it's okay i think she was just trying to convince herself that you know she was going to be okay and i know she will be okay but it was interesting to see her have to process this in real time because this is a failure at this level that she has yet to experience yeah i thought your brief interaction with her john was fascinating because it showed she thought she could like win the race, which is crazy to me. I mean, if she had run four twenty and has forty nine second four hundred speed, already what she did is just amazing. I mean, a thread was started afterwards by Armstrong Leave. There is literally no other nineteen year old American woman alive right now who could do what a thing Mo just did for fourteen hundred nine meters, which is true. So. She's the best 400 meter runner in America, I would say. Could be, if you let her train for it for three months, I think she would be. She's by far the best 800 meter runner in the world. And she's also the best 1500 meter runner in America, you know, under the age of 20. 
which is just completely unprecedented. And she's going to be the face of track and field for probably through at least, yeah, LA Olympics. I mean, wow. I don't want to, I keep getting ahead of myself, but you think Allison Felix is popular now? Just wait. But also, I, I, I liked it because it shows you her mindset, but also I think it shows you that it's not the mindset that wins the races, it's the physiology. So, which confirms my coaching beliefs. Okay, a few other losers from Milrose, Robert. The BYU new pros, Anna Camp Bennett and Whitney Orton, this was their pro debuts for Adidas. It did not go well. Anna Camp Bennett was 11th in the Wanamaker Mile in 437. And Whitney Orton finished 9th in the women's 3K in 856. Now, I saw in the Fast Women newsletter, they mentioned that they were both coming off COVID recently. If that's the case, I'll give them a pass. It wasn't an auspicious debut. And it's worth noting that Courtney Waymont, who is still at BYU, the reigning NCAA 3K champion, she ran a PB of 850 in the 3K. So that was a very good result for her. So if they're not 100% due to COVID, I can understand it, but it wasn't an auspicious pro debut. Craig Engels, I mean, look, I he went with it. I respect that. You know, but clearly he's not on Ollie Hoare and Josh Kerr's level at the moment, and he fell off badly. He faded to 10th in 401. The more interesting thing, he's not even on Colby Alexander's level right now. Maybe, you know, that's that's easier said than done because Colby Alexander ran a hell of a race. He was third in 352. He doesn't currently have a sponsor. He runs for Empire Elite. But people forget this. He ran 333 after the trials last year. This was a field with some of the best milers in America, and he was three seconds clear of Sam Prakel in fourth. He beat Johnny Gregoric, beat Hobbs Kessler, Angles, and Clayton Murphy. Clayton Murphy, another loser for Milrose. He was dead last in the Wanamaker Mile in 405. So I was very impressed by Craig by uh, Colby Alexander, not so much impressed by the other American milers in that race. I was stunned. Did I even know who Colby Alexander was heading into this race? I mean, I, I honestly, I don't know. I was like, who, who is this guy running with these people? It was amazing, right? And you're going to have a story on him, right? I mean, what what is he? He's 30 years old. Where did this come from? Did this guy do anything? He went to Oregon, right? But he did absolutely nothing there? So, yeah, it's he's had a wild career. So he was at Oregon at the time of Cheserac and Jenkins and all those guys. He never made NCAAs at Oregon. Though he did run, you know, individually. He was part of their winning DMR in 2015. And then suddenly, you know, his summer after his senior year, he runs a huge PB and makes the US final. And he's been in a few US finals. He was in the Olympic trials final last year, but he hadn't really done anything crazy. And then suddenly he re- runs 333, and now he's running 352, and he's the top American by far at Milrose. I'm like, what the hell happened, dude? How are you doing this? And he said it was a few things. Um... He started working with a sports psychologist last year. He said before races in college, he'd get really nervous. And as a pro, you know, he'd have all these thoughts during races. And this sports psychologist helped him sort of simplify things. So that was definitely one aspect of it. The other is he's just been injured. He's had injuries. You know, he's had a nagging Achilles injury for a long time. And after last season, he had some platelet-rich plasma therapy on it, an injection. And it took, it forced him to take a little time off. But since he returned to training right around Thanksgiving last year, 
He said he's had no setbacks. His Achilles is feeling amazing. So that's a factor. And then the other thing is, you got to remember the footwear. It's not, he was running in Hoka's for a while. Now he's able, he's unsponsored. He's able to run whatever spike he chooses. I believe he was in the Nikes. So it's a confluence of things, but it's pretty impressive. A guy 30 years old, unsponsored, you would say, okay, the Olympic cycle just came and went. It might be time to hang it up. But then when you run 333 after the Olympic trials, you keep going. And I talked to his agent, Stephen Haas, yesterday. It does sound like they're going to have a deal. He's pretty confident he'll have a deal fairly soon for Colby because he was like, look, people saw he ran 333, but they knew his injury history. They weren't sure if they were going to even give him a contract. But now that he's shown he's still healthy now and he's running at a high level right now, I think the shoe companies are more inclined to sign him. So it does sound like he will likely have a deal fairly soon. I think it's great if he gets a deal and he deserves it. But this kind of reminds me of what I, the Kara D'Amato thing. Like, isn't he on the backside of his career? Now I was wrong about D'Amato being on the backside. What's he really going to do? Maybe he breaks a world's team. I see why they do it all on your potential at 22 or 23. In the meantime, while he doesn't have a sponsor, maybe we should sponsor him at Let's Run. I've always wanted to pass that singlet around and create like the Let's Run PRs of the singlet. He could destroy the 1500 meter. Well, he runs the Empire Elite. He's going to be racing the Empire Elite singlet. It's not like he's without a team. What do you mean? Well, they don't need any publicity. I mean, if I pay him enough, he'll run with my damn singlet. All right. Well, you got to talk to Stephen Haas. He's racing the mile at the New Balance Indoor Grand Prix this weekend. So if you want to make an offer, well, let him know. The singlet's in Europe right now. I got to get it back from over there. But <laughs> okay, I'm not going to give Haas 15%. I'll negotiate directly with Mr. Alexander. Oh, my God. Anyways, there's one. Well, the biggest loser. One is obvious and one. Oh, God, I can't. Should I go there or should I mute myself? The biggest loser without the shot put, the shot put officials give me, I mean, they, they butcher the world record and then they don't tell anyone they're too. It's, it's like that NFL official when the guy threw the ball into the end zone after he blew the whistle, they went a minute. So they just act like they didn't blow the whistle. Like they mismeasure the marks. Ryan Krauser realizes the marks are mismeasured, but they don't tell anyone. They don't, there's no one there to tell the TV people it's off. I don't know, man, that was bad. Yeah, it's, it's not good. When you have the, I watched the broadcast again this morning, and you can see there is a yellow world record line, and it's very clear that these shots are landing well short of this line on the infield. So, yeah, it's just it's not good. Someone, one of the officials, needs to make it known to the broadcast and in the stadium these marks don't count, or you you know you have an announcement saying something like that because again, it's a it wasn't just a world record; it was supposed to be the longest throw in history, indoors or out. So. That was not good. And then they were saying like, oh, he's not even using the full push. I'm like, how is that possible? Like Otto Bolden was like getting tweets from shot put experts telling Otto, like he's not even doing the full throw and he's still doing it. Like wouldn't the officials realize, okay, there's the world record mark. It's way before something's off. Let's stop here. But this is the problem. This is why people have criticized them using this fully automatic digital thing. People want to have the old tape because you don't mess up the tape. What happened there, Robert, is they, the officials initially, they told Krauser they thought that the measurement system was fine and that the display system was showing the wrong marks. So they were thinking, oh, it's logging the correct marks, but it's not showing the correct marks. But, but, but even then, don't you have to stop the competition? Don't the throwers need to know what they threw to see what place they're in? 
Yeah, it's it was a it was a debacle. It was not handled well. And also, actually, while we're at this, I just want to complain in the Boston area. So I recorded the Milrose games on YouTube TV while I was away because I wanted to come back and you know watch it, see stuff later. And my dad, he gets he sends me a text at the start of the meet. He's like, "We're watching the meet." NBC, the Boston NBC affiliate has bumped the Milrose games for blizzard coverage. I'm like, you've got to be joking. Like they've bumped it for a weather coverage of a weather event. And I looked back at the YouTube TV, my feed this morning, the entire broadcast, they did not show a second of the Milrose games. They just showed weather coverage the entire time. And look, this is NBC, NBC Boston's fault. This is not like a national issue. And I think it also gets to our country's obsession with weather. I'm like, look, it's snowing outside. This happens once a, once or twice a year in Boston that we get a big snowstorm. I think people would rather see something to entertain them than just more coverage of the snow that's falling outside. I just think it's ridiculous. And gladly, fortunately, this meet was still broadcast on Peacock. My parents could watch it on Peacock. But NBC 10, shame on you. I think you're wrong, John. I think more people in Boston want to watch the weather. Well, yeah, that's that might be the problem. It like it might be right from like a viewer perspective, but like it's just lame. More people want to see stuff that they can just look out the window and see than the one of the greatest trap meets in the world. Come on, man. Okay, can we somehow just send this next part just to the subscribers or whatever? Because I'm gonna have to criticize one of the phenoms of American distance running, perhaps the future. Of American distance running. Hops Kessler? What was that? Like 359 the mile? That did absolutely nothing for me. I know it's indoors. They want to be going, getting ready for outdoors, but what? I, I, that did absolutely nothing for me. I hope there's not appearance fees, honestly. I mean, I guess you want to get people in that habit of going to Melrose, but no, 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 no. Like, is he in worse shape than last year? Or was he just pacing Nick Willis? Like, God, guys making probably north of $500,000 a year. And it's weird. I feel less guilt criticizing him as a dude. If it was like Mary Kane, I'd be, oh, he's soft. And I probably shouldn't do it. I love Hobbs. I love Ron Warhurst, Nick Willis, the whole group. Very nice track club. It's amazing. But I was expecting a lot more from that race. I, I think it's fine. He ran towards the back, which, which which we expected him to do because that's usually his style. He wasn't super sharp right now. He's coming off a big fall of stepping up his mileage and volume in Flagstaff. They're not doing a big indoor season. And all right, his close, he closed in 58.92 for his last 400. Or last quarter mile, sorry. That's not amazing. But again, it's January. I'm not overly concerned by it. So his big kick wasn't there. Guess what? He still beat Craig Engels. He still beat Henry Wynn. Those guys with fourth and fifth at the Olympic trials. Like, I know they didn't run well either, but I, I don't care. Hobbs Kessler's 18. It wasn't like he embarrassed himself out there. He hung at the back and his kick wasn't there. Like, simple as that. Don't compare him to Craig Engels. Craig Engels went with a pace. That's just a completely different thing if you fade. I assumed he was pacing Nick Willis the whole time. And then I saw a finish photo and it looked like he was kind of leaning and trying at the end. And I'm like, what? I was just shocked. Like, 
It's just a really bad run for him. I mean, you talked to him, right, John? He wasn't just pacing. I didn't tell the Hobbs after the race. But I, but I'm pretty sure it's been confirmed he wasn't just pacing, right? It looks like that was that was not the intention going in, as far as I'm aware. But I don't know for sure. But so how old is he now? He's 18, which is one another reason why I don't think we should be ripping this yeah. guy for running a don't... 359 mile. But let's not forget, Ajay, excuse me, I think Mo is 19. I mean, that's crazy. 19 years old. 19 years old. Do not forget. We want to talk about, people want to talk about Hobbs Kessler, what a talent he is, blah, blah, blah. A thing, Mo, is the, oh my, it's just unbelievable. Like, th- there's not enough words to describe her. I mean, she's so good, she just doesn't get the credit, right? It's, it's. What do you mean she doesn't get the credit? I think she's gotten credit for being good. I don't know. Alan Webb was on the Letterman show. Why isn't a thing Mo on the Letterman show? No track stars on the Letterman show. It's a different era. Track's not as popular. They're more, you know, you got TikTok stars now. Like she, she happened. And here's the other thing. Alan Webb did his thing in May, May of 2001. Like he was the only big track story at the time. A thing Mo, she was amazing at the Olympics. And there are dozens of huge Olympic stories at the same time. You can't just say like, oh, we have to have every massive gold medal winner at the Olympics on the Letterman show, it's not going to work. Maybe I was a little bit too harsh on Harps because one thing that I think was a big plus in this race, I always felt on Webb, he never got used to running in packs. He never got used to running in the back of the field. He went from dominating high school to time trial races. And this was time trial to front, but to be in the pack is very good for Hobbs. I just expected a bigger close than that. So, all right. One hypothetical before we leave. I was asking John about this right before the show. Who will have a better career? Josh Kerr or Cole Hawker? Weldon? So, who will have a better career? Man, I want to say Hawker, but... Good question, Robert. I mean, I want to say Hawker, but... Josh Curry has an Olympic bronze medal and's run 329. I mean, it's very conceivable that Hawker never does either one of those things. Yeah, you nailed it there, Weldon. A bird in hand is worth two in the bush. That's the old saying. Josh Kerr has an Olympics bronze medal. Those are really hard to get. You know, will Cole Hawker ever get? A... I I wouldn't be surprised if Cole Hawker medals at Worlds or something. But Josh Kerr could win more. Who has a better chance to medal this year? It's Josh Kerr, no doubt. And will Cole Hawker ever run 329.0? Has any American-born runner in history ever run that fast for the 1500? No. So I don't think Cole Hawker is ever going to run faster than what Josh Kerr ran this year. He could, he could, but it's unlikely. It's just like that's really, really fast. So yeah, I'm going Josh Kerr. I, I'm... And this is going to come across like I'm some Cole Hawker hater. I think he has the ability to surpass what Josh Kerr has done so far. But Josh Kerr has proven it on a bigger stage, and he's still in his prime right now. So I'm going to go Kerr. John, no, no, you guys are wrong. Look, Hawker may never win an Olympic medal. So, But if we're going to define it by Olympic medals, then fine. We, we can say Kerr. But Cole Hawker will run faster than Josh Kerr ran last year. You don't think he, he's already run 331.40. You don't think he, right? What, 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 what is his PB? 
Yeah, three thirty one forty. You you don't think he improves two point four seconds the rest of his career? Um, he's twenty years of age. I'm not saying he can't do it. I'm saying improving that much is unlikely, and here's why: two point four seconds over the rest of his career. Robert, can I make my case? Do you remember a gentleman by the name of Andrew Weeding? He ran 3.30 in the summer of 2010. Everyone's like, oh my god, this guy, he's a phenom. This is amazing. He never ran faster. Okay? Sometimes, like, now, yeah, look, Cole Hawker is younger, but like Centro, Matthew Centrowitz, he ran his 3.31 in 2012. He was 22 at the time. Again, that's older than Cole Hawker, I'm admitting that. You, when he ran that, you're like, oh man, he's going to, if I told you after that, he's going to win an Olympic gold medal and a world indoor title. He's going to win all these medals at global championships. He's definitely going to run more than two seconds faster than that, right? No, his PB 330.40. So you need to, to run those sort of times. You get, need to get in really fast races. You have to be in really good shape and you have to have really good competition. And that's hard to do. Like, I'm not John, saying John, not John, John, it, John, John, John. You guys John. are acting like a two-second improvement when you're already at 331 is a given. It is not. John, you act like running under 330 is impossible. In today's era, if you're the top of the world, super shoes, there's going to be tons of races under 330. I mean, look no, back there's even... not. It's Monaco. That's it. Nope, John. It, well, yeah, look at Monaco. Nick Willis, I think, broke 330 and got 10th in the race or something one year. It's not that hard to go sub-330 anymore. It is outside of Monaco. Was... No one does it outside of Monaco. They did it at the Olympics, and it's Monaco, and that's basically it. Well, then. How many track seasons have we had with Super Shoes? We've only had it, probably 2019 is when they, they got started. You're going to see tons of sub-330s. You already have seen it in the past, so we're just going to think things aren't going to improve. i, I got to start thinking this guy can actually run faster than 329. But I, I'm, I'm not convinced. It's not It's not certain. I think Kerr may be a little bit better suited for the 1500 than Hawker. He's a little bit faster. We got 145 versus 146. But Hawker's range, who do I think is going to be relevant for the next 15 years? Definitely Cole Hawker. He's got, he's got cross-country high school national champion. Like, his range. It wouldn't surprise me if Cole Hawker ends up setting the U.S. 1,500-meter American record as well as the 5,000 American record. And I also, I'm still not convinced that Cooper Tier shouldn't be in this mix. So I get Kerr may be the better 1,500-meter runner. He may have the better absolute performance in that Olympic bronze. But I think Hawker is the better runner. I think he'll have a better overall career from start to finish, adding it all up, the body, the length, Etc. I think that's possible. And I think Weldon is totally right about the, the sub 330s, I think are going to be common. You're going to have the pacing lights. You, got, you already got Hawker and Tier going for an American record indoors in the mile. They're going to want to set up these things outdoors as well. I think you're just taking it for granted that he's going to have a ton of improvement. No American born man has ever run faster than 330.40 for 1500 meters. So. Do I think Cole Hawker could be the first American-born man under 330? Absolutely. But is it a given he's going to be running 328, which is faster than what Kerr's run right now? No, that's still difficult to do. So, Damn it, not I'm writing think- him off. I'm saying 
it is not as easy as you guys are making it out to be. If it wasn't a world's year in Eugene and what and the worlds weren't early, I would bet you a thousand dollars at two to one odds that he does breaks three thirty this year. Yeah, but you're saying if it wasn't a world's year, every year's a world's year. Like he's gonna have the Olympics in twenty twenty four, Robert. You think he's gonna be more focused on winning at the Olympics or breaking three thirty? We both know the answer. Like you say, oh, if it wasn't this, that's what happens in track and field. Things get in the way. They focus on the championships. You don't always have time to chase these times. The world will be under 330 this year. I'll say that. The, the world, the, all right. The Olympics were under 330 this year, Cole. I mean, I guess that's a good point. Yeah, he'll be a year better. If you assume he's a year better, he could break 330 in the world championship final this year. So that I'll give you that. That's certainly possible. Look, Kerr's an amazing talent. He ran 335, middling 99, I think, at 19. But, and I think he made the worlds that year. But then he was tired at the end of the year. This was Hawker the same year. He breaks out. I mean, he's, he's a year older. He's 20. But breaks out and he's running his PR at the last meet of the season. So I think it's going to be Hawker, but I, I think it's, it's a fun debate. I had fun debating it. All right. There were a couple of performances that went under the radar last week because they weren't at Melrose. First of all, a ton of collegians are running fast this year, but do you guys know that we have a new American, new world leader in the women's 800 that is American? as well as a new U.S. under-20 3,000-meter record hold inside. Well, Robert, I don't recognize world leaders until the calendar turns to February, unless it's like a world record. So the official period for registering world world leaders of significance began on Tuesday. I'll be paying attention from that point on. I want to give a shout-out to Brooke Feldmeyer. I mean, has anyone ever heard of this woman? John, had you heard of her? Absolutely. She, I think she started at Ole Miss. She transferred to Oregon. She's a decent 800 runner. But then I looked up to see, like, what did she do at the trials last year? She didn't even make it to the semifinals. So running two flat point nine two indoors at Arkansas in her season opener, yes, that's a significant step up. It's faster than her outdoor PR of 201.54 from 2017. Very promising start for her. Yeah, I think it's great. I mean, she's 26 years old. I mean, I guess she was third at NCAAs in the 800 in 2017. So, but, you know, that was actually one of the things that New Balance coach Mark Coogan said. I wish there was, I think there's a lot more funding for the top people, but some of these people kind of just keep the dream alive. She's kept the dream alive. Fantastic to see there. And then... She has an Adidas contract, Robert. I didn't say that she didn't. Yeah, but you're at... You sort of... It seems like you're acting like, oh, she's just still getting by. It's like, well, she did... I'm pretty sure she... She has a contract, and I don't know how long she's had one, but... Yeah. Who coaches her? I do not know. A great run, but... I don't know how... Two flat point nine is a world leader these days. From your guys' talk with Mark Coogan, I think he said something like 80 people broke two last year. I don't know the exact number, but it's pretty common to go sub two these days. I just explained how it's a world leader. Well, then it's January. It's actually February, John. But speaking of world leaders, look, I looked up the stats. 51 women broke two last year outdoors. But only five did it indoors. 
Admittedly, there was more some COVID going on. But if, if you look at the men's stats, remember, a, indoors running is going to hurt an 800 runner a lot more than, you know, than a distance race. So how many men broke 145 outdoors last year? 55, 56 men, according to Telestopsha. How many men did it indoors? Four. So it's very similar. You have over 50 people doing it outdoors, hardly anyone doing it indoors. 10 to 1 ratio. Interesting. And as you were doing that, Robert, I went and pulled up 2017. 32 women went sub two. So maybe super spikes aren't making that much of a difference. That's only 19 less. I don't think there's super spikes in 2017. But speaking of world leaders, Alexa Averson, the former high school sensation, ran a 429 mile on Friday night at BU. And I was a world leader, believe it or not, at the time. And some message board poster said, good for her, Nike contracts have a $10,000 bonus for world leaders. There's no way she gets a 10000 bonus for running. But I, maybe it's, it is the end of January somehow, but so then everybody should just go run one January 2nd because a jillion people could run a 429 right now. Yeah, if that provision existed, you would see a ton of Feb- January 1st track meets with people trying to get these bonuses. There's no way that can be true. But, but this does present a question, though. Robert, this is 429 for Ephraimson. It's her first fastest mile in four years. She's now working with Pete Julian. She's still only 24 years old. Is this a sign of life? Are you ready to believe in her again? Or did she need to show you more? She needs to show me more, much more. Why am I supposed to be impressed by a 410, 1500 meter runner? Okay, Rojo has spoken. We'll see. Look, she's run 403.39 as her PB from 2015 when she was 18 years of age. She did, although this is probably super spikes. Well, she ran 404 in 2017 and 404 flat in 2019. But 404 flat in 2019 may have been like the equivalent of 407 back in the day if she had the super spikes. So I don't know. What is my theory? Talent doesn't go away. I do always say that. But I also say don't hype a high school, a teenage phenom female until they PR. Do I say 18 or 19? I think it's just say 19. Unless you're a thing Mo and win the Olympics at 18. Is that what old she was when she won the Olympics? She was 19 when she won the Olympics. Uh, see, there you have it. Wait till they PR at 19. Um, you know, it's good. I, I would like this actually bothers me then. Why did Alexa Frameson and Al Thing Mo run in different heats of the mile two weeks ago <laughs> at Texas AM? I guess they were just doing it as a workout. But good for her. I'm hope that I'm wrong, but I think to be a factor on the US scene, you need to be well, we saw it last year. You had to run four oh two of the trials to make the team. Yeah. I mean, look at we have Milrose. Ellie Perry of St. Pierre, best miler in the country. She just ran 4.19. I think she was hoping to go a little faster. Josette Norris, 4.20. I mean, you need to be in the low 4.20s if you want to be competitive. Uh, so she's got a little work to do, but a decent opener for her, for sure. All right, a couple other performances worth noting. At BU on Sunday, Aiden Ryan of Williams becomes the first D3. Well, I don't think I don't know if he's the first, but he breaks the D3 mile record. He runs 3.56. So uh, that's a pretty impressive run for the Williams athlete. Though, you know, if he was 
351, you'd say, oh, 356, whatever. Nico Young ran a 356 over the weekend. But good run for Aiden. That's a big, you know, big D3 accomplishment. And then Wake Forest, Luke Tewalt. He's a sophomore at Wake Forest. He ran 756 a week after his 19th birthday. And David Monty pointed out that's actually the US under 20 record for the indoor 3000 meters. It's a little esoteric. And he mentioned that it's also slower than marks by Grant Fisher, Ben Sorrell, and Cooper Tier, who ran faster at UW. But, you know, 7.56 at just after turning 19, that's pretty legit. So congrats to Luke. You said David Monty mentioned, I heard it from the horse's mouth. I heard it from his coach, John Hayes. Folks, the number of coaches that have me in the Rolodex, John, well, it's probably much less than the number that have you. Anyone can reach me. If you want to reach us, just pick up the phone, 844-LET'S-RUN, 844-538-7786. That is now a text line as well. I have been talking to more coaches recently, and I actually, despite what John says, now like some coaches that are under the age of 40. But there was another showing at BU that generated a little bit of buzz on the message boards. Tim and Elite now has six guys who have run between 742 and 747 in the 3,000 this year indoors. What do y'all think of that? For international viewers who may not know what 10 Minute Elite is, it's a... Uh, I can't. I don't want to describe it without getting in trouble. They have a big social media following. You really think people listening to the podcast who don't know what 10 Minute Elite is, Robert? This is the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast. I imagine even our international viewers probably have at least heard of Tim Man Elite. I keep claiming that I'm going to read off all the countries that we have supporting club members in. Like, do you think the guy in Chile knows what the Tim Man Elite is? I guess maybe YouTube might send him the videos. Anyways, group based around Drew Hunter. They were coached by Tom Tim and Schwartz. They fired Tom Tim and Schwartz, but kept the name. Hopefully he's compensated. Now they're coached by... Drew Hunter's mother, Joan Hunter, who used to be coached by Tom Tim and Schwartz. Anyways, they've got a new coach. Some of these actually times were run at Milrose. Drew Hunter, I was I did watch him. I was I was watching him there. He was hanging on to the back of the of the lead pack. He ran 742 um, at Milrose. Jordy Guzman ran 744. Jermaine Coleman ran 744. His previous PB is 752. Sam Parsons ran 744. His PB is 749. Barraza ran 745. His previous PB was 747. And Berriata ran 747. His previous PB was 757. So some of the solar guys were actually running 10-second PBs, which is good. But what do you guys make of this? Well, they're healthy and running personal bests, which was not happening last year under Tin Man. So I think that's a good sign for them. Like we know that they don't have the top tier talent, maybe outside of Drew Hunter, but in the 740s, knocking time off. Yes, that's encouraging. It's encouraging, but I think not having top tier talent makes it hard. And usually when we see top tier talent and good coaching is when we see the best. But Drew Hunter obviously is a very good talent. Joan Hunter is a very good coach. They're doing a good job. But, I mean, Timman was a good coach as well. So it's going to be interesting to see because, as we said, shoes are making times faster. Some fresh, I guess he's a 19-year-old sophomore. That's old, John. I was 20 as a sophomore. 
So you mean it's, it's young? Oh, he's oh, correct. I just don't know if what John said about them not running PRs was true. I mean, under Timman, that may have been just disparaged the man. Someone said, someone on the message board said, this proves that Timmon wasn't a good coach. I said, no, it doesn't. They're still using his philosophy. He may not have been a better remote coach. He did great with Drew in high school. And Drew Hunter ran a, 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 a by his 5,000 meter PB of 1317 in December of 2020. That's the like the right before Timmon was fired. He ran his lifetime PB under Timmon. So game, set, match, Timmon. Game, set, match, Timmon because Drew Hunter ran a 5K PB in December 2020. That does, that's one data point. Look, this is one data point as well, or I guess it's six data points for because these guys are running times. But like, I'm not saying Tim Man was a garbage coach. And actually, I do think some of the Tim Man athletes are running PBs last year. How much you want to attribute that to Tim Man? You know, it's up to for debate. I'm saying this is an optimistic start. Clearly, like, good start for Joan Hunter. Let's see what they go from here. But having all these athletes running personal best and being healthy, that's that's a good thing, Robert. Yeah, it's a very good start. I mean, Drew started off, he won the 5K in New York. That was shocking to me. Since then, it's weird. It hasn't gone as well as I thought. I'm like, oh, wow, I thought he might be firing in better cylinders. But it's going to be hard for anyone on that team who's American to make any teams, including Drew Hunter. And that's the bar that's set. He needs to make a team. He needs to make the world's team for the U.S. Well, he made the world's team in 2019. Right. Under Timmon. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, and also Robert likes to play it both ways. Robert, you would admit there needed to be a coaching change, correct? I totally understand why Drew Hunter wanted a new coach. I'm just saying, first of all, this isn't a good start. And I like Joan Hunter. I think she was an amazing coach. Can they not both be good coaches? Why does it have to be either or? It's the same thing on the NFL. No one's like, trying to argue that. We can't win the Super Bowl. Therefore, we must fire our coach. Like, I would rather be the Baltimore Ravens and relevant every year than to be the New York Giants and win two Super Bowls but be garbage most years. So, I don't know. Like, John Eckler, they just she just started coaching the team. She coached them last summer as well. So, I, I don't know what you're trying to, what sort of, I think you're just trying to pin me as a straw man here, Robert. Well, y'all are trying to pin confusing. me as, as, as an anti or pro or anyways. I just, you're I, saying, I, but you're like saying, Tim Man wins game set match. Yeah. Like you're trying to yeah. render final judgment well, on this, and then you say, "Oh, they all ran PRs, but it doesn't mean anything." Like, of okay. course, it means something. Go back to that thing and change it to Rojo wins game set match. John said they weren't running PRs under Tim Man, and I pointed out that they ran a PR in December, right before they fired him in January. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> I said they were not running PRs last year, which may also not be true. But December twenty is not. I wasn't saying they were not running any PRs, but I was saying a lot of these guys were injured. And a lot of them weren't running PRs. It was mainly an argument between me and John. Please don't take this as an argument between Joan and Tim and Schwartz. Yes, I've said this b before. I think he's a better remote coach. I think he's a better high school coach. Okay. All right, let's get to the Salazar stuff. This is sort of the... We've saved this for the end. But this was huge news and in the running community, right? For the record, I think we should say... We, we saved it for the end for a reason. Not because it's not extremely important, but... A podcast listener who is a survivor of sexual abuse says it's very traumatic to even hear talk about some of these things. And she didn't want, she thought that we, we try to be considered about this, but she didn't want to have to hear it. So she said, can you let us know when we talk about it? And we said, well, we'll just do it at the end. We'll send you the timestamp and it will be easier to talk about. So 
we, we know this can be difficult to talk about, traumatic to some people. We apologize if you get upset by the following talk. Right. So this is, we are now entering the Salazar portion of the podcast. And so yes, big news with Alberto Salazar this week. The New York Times broke the story about why exactly he was suspended. Because if you, in case you haven't been following this whole thing, in January 2020, Safe Sport, which is a an organization founded to deal with sexual, physical, and emotional abuse in Olympic sports, they ruled him temporarily ineligible, and they didn't give any details about it. Then in July 2021, he was then updated to permanent ineligibility. So this is after they conducted their investigation, and they listed the rule, the reasons as sexual misconduct and emotional misconduct. And Salazar had an opportunity to appeal that, and he did. And then December 2021 came out, that appeal had failed, but they removed emotional misconduct. So all we knew was that in December 2021, Salazar had been banned for life by Safe Sport for sexual misconduct. But we didn't know what that constituted. We weren't sure were they, were they even interpreting using a very broad definition of sexual misconduct to ban him for some of the fat shaming allegations by Mary Kane and Amy Yoda, Yoda Begley because there was a lot of confusion. We didn't know exactly why he'd been banned and Safe Sport is a pretty opaque organization. They weren't offering anything other than that. So at the time, we kind of wanted to know some more details because none of the public allegations against Salazar by Mary Kane or any of the former athletes, none of that crossed into the realm of sexual misconduct. And now we know, thanks to the New York Times, no, it wasn't for any of that stuff. There's actually other allegations made by an unnamed athlete. And the biggest one of them was that while he was giving her a massage on multiple times, Salazar penetrated her with a finger. Actually, we assume it's a her. It's not listed male or female, but we assume it's a female athlete. I haven't assumed that. I've... Anyway, that is the stuff that we now know Robert Wellen, what are your biggest... I mean, this is the... This is big news because none of the public allegations have reached the level of sexual abuse like this before. And this is something that some people may not have been surprised by it, but I think I was surprised to hear this detail. I know it was sexual misconduct before, but to hear actual that detail about Salazar I, I, struck me as surprising. I think what you said is wrong. I think everybody was surprised. I mean, this is the man that's been in the press for years. The entire 20-year existence of Let's Run.com has been extremely prominent, and there's never been a whiff of this. And for this to be what he was banned for was shocking. And if he did it, good riddance. Um, taking a step back, I think when the December ruling came out, we all asked for, we, we need more information. We didn't think that if he was banned for fat shaming, that should be considered fat sexual misconduct. So now we have more information. But the way that this has happened and the fact that it requires a violation of federal law, what I believe to be a violation of federal law, these things are supposed to be secretive, for it to come out, I think is wrong. And there still needs to be a reform done to the safe sport process. This sort of extrajudicial body that doesn't explain anything. Then there's pushback. There's people like us saying, hey, we need to know what happened here. And I'll Conveniently, it's linked to the New York Times to sort of maybe save the mission of safe sport, to let people trust and believe in it. 
but shocking, shocking news. And one other thing is, when this all came out, I was wondering why Salazar wasn't issuing a, a big public defense. And one thing that in my head I was thinking was, well, maybe he doesn't want whatever he's accused of to be public. You know, if it's an extramarital affair or, I mean, I didn't even expect, I, I, I didn't really expect something like this, which is, seems, appears to be just flat out, accused, you know, he's been accused of flat out sexual assault. Um, well, then what do you think? I mean, I agree. Everyone has to be surprised, shocked by this. This is the most scrutinized guy probably in the sport the last two decades. And we'd never heard something like this. Just, uh, I don't like say allegations because Safe Sport found them to be the case, but I don't know what happened. You know, one arbitrator ruled that in his belief or her belief, I'm not sure, that the preponderance of evidence, so more than 51% this happened. And obviously the Safe Sport investigation before that found that as well. But, I mean, this is just a whole nother level. And it, it needs to be out there. If, if this is what he did, people need to know that. Because if, if they could have assumed that this guy was just, oh, said some stuff about weight to someone, and that could be classified as sexual misconduct, he, he could be coaching again. But if he did this, you know, no coaching. I mean, this is criminal. It's a felony. Sexual assault. I mean, this is digital rape. So I, I don't want to talk about reforms that need to be made with safe sport when obviously we wanted to, to minimize the seriousness of this and how serious sexual assault is. But I don't see how we really can discuss the case because we, we don't know what happened. We'll never know what happened. It's sort of an opaque process. It's not held to the standard of, of criminal law. So it's like, I think this is just going to be it right unless more accusations come out more women step forward i think this will just people have to make sense of this ruling right i think so and i think one of the one of the criticisms we've said is look safe sport they have a tremendous amount of power you can impose a lifetime ban and if you have that sort of power people have to have trust there needs to be public trust that you're going to dole out those suspensions when they're merited, when they're deserved. And by just saying sexual misconduct and not saying anything about when or why or any of that stuff, people, there's going to be some doubt. It's when, and when you don't answer any questions about it, people are going to have some doubt in the process. And I think it's definitely good now. We know more about this. Like, yeah, this is true, which he has been convicted not only by safe sport, but by an independent arbitrator. It's despicable and he deserves it. The bad. Right. I mean, one athlete, and it, we can criticize how Safe Sports set up, but one athlete felt, with all the scrutiny of, of Salazar, that they could, they didn't feel comfortable ever coming forward publicly to the media. They didn't feel like that was the avenue. They needed this Safe Sport to put this charge out there. So I think that shows how safe sport can play a role. I mean, obviously, if this occurred, we don't want people like this coaching. So entities, in some extent, like safe sport need to exist. But then you start thinking the other side, it's like, okay, well, let's make it more public. It's just, is it just one arbitrator? Maybe you need more people to make the rulings. 
it's just such a because I don't know, but maybe like a civil lawsuit is sort of the same burden of proof. I just don't know enough about this to say anything more. But this is just so out of the realm of what I thought he was banned for. So I think people will view safe sport bans differently now. I don't want to come across as a Salazar apologist in any shape or form, but I do think it's important for the record to state that he has totally denied the allegations. Told the New York Times, he emailed the New York Times, sexual misconduct is completely at odds with who I am as a person. As a devoted husband, father, and human being, I consider any kind of sexual misconduct toward another person to be personally repugnant and to go against everything I believe. My heart goes out to victims of sexual misconduct, but in this case, I never committed any such misconduct. Additionally, Salazar told the, wrote to the New York Times that the safe sport process was unfair and lacked due process protections. And if there was a full and fair trial, there would have been a different result. He also said he would like to provide more facts about the falsity of allegations against me, but was constrained by safe sports confidentiality rules. Um, and I tried to look into this to see if there are confidentiality rules, because while they compared it to a criminal case, it's way less than a criminal case. This is 51-49%. So if one person thinks at a 51%, now I guess it's one person and then the arbitrator, so two people, I guess, think it's 51%, you're gone. To, to a, a criminal case would require an entire jury of, what's nine people, 12, depending how many people are on it, to think beyond a reasonable doubt. All of them have to agree with that. So anyways, I looked into it. I actually wrote Safe Fort to see if Salazar is prevented from talking about the case and they directed me to the safe sport code it's very clear that he can talk about the case it says additionally subject to the abuse provisions ab abuse of process provision including the prohibition on identifying a claimant the center does not impose any restrictions on the claimants or respondents ability to discuss the incident their participation in the center's process or the outcome of that process so I don't know. I mean, I, I think that could, again, because it could be, an, maybe he's misinformed on that, or maybe it's an excuse for him not to talk about it. Or maybe he feels like if he defended himself, he would identify the person. I imagine, quite honestly, even if he identified the person, he'd have a right to do that. They could sue each other in civil court if they wanted to. I don't know. If it's a minor, there might be special protections. So is, there are some some doubts about that. I personally think he needs to have the ability to fully do whatever he wants to say if he's trying to you know, defend himself, but... I mean, what a fall from grace. The doping demand to me means nothing, right? This is much bigger. But if I was accused of sexual assault and I didn't do it, I would defend myself to the hilt. I would come out publicly. I think that's what he needs to do if he didn't do this. Because this is much more serious than a doping ban. But, I mean, just wow... I'd much rather be known as a doper than a sexual assaulter, right? I mean, yes. I think that's that's what, man, it, it, you you don't even want your name associated with this. So I can see why up until this point you would stay quiet, almost, right? Even Correct. if you didn't, even if you didn't, let's say you you even didn't do it. Obviously, if you did it, like fuck that, let's not even go there. But if you did it, if you didn't do it, and there's this sort of like secret court and it's ruled and no one really knows what you did, and you're like. I don't want my name linked with sexual assault. I'm just, I'm just have to stay quiet. But now, nope, it's out there. So I, I think the burden obviously is shifted because he's been found guilty by this civil 
I don't know, by Safe Sport, I guess is the way to say it. Safe Sport and the arbitrator who denied his appeal. I don't know if there's anything else worth speculating about in this case. There's a lot. There's a lot worth speculating about it. No, I mean, no, it's irresponsible, Robert, to be speculating about this stuff. No, because we, we know what we know from the New York Times report. I mean, what are you going to speculate on that's going to be productive in any way? Should do you guys think the, the fact of the matter is this was never supposed to be public? This was never supposed to be in the New York Times. Is that a good thing for Safe Sport or is that a bad thing? You know, we could have all been going around thinking he did this. He could have gotten hired for a job in Qatar. He could have been been hired for for another job. Is yeah. that good? I would argue no. Robert, I've I've already said earlier in this podcast. I think there needs to be more transparency, and I'm glad that the details that were announced that were in the New York Times story are now out in the public. But I think the accuser also has a right to a certain degree of privacy. And the New York Times made the decision. They said they could have identified them and they chose not to. I think that's a wise decision in these sort of cases, unless the accuser wants to publicly identify themselves. But yes, I think there needs to be a degree more transparency than we've seen from state sports so that people can have faith in the system. Beyond that, is there anything else about the subject we want to discuss? The whole thing was pretty shocking, but it's weird because in December, we basically said we need more information and now we've gotten it. So at least we now know why he was banned. Although I wish I didn't know there was something this horrific, but I guess my main takeaway though is taking a step back from the Salazar specifically is we need this information all the time and it should not be a violation of federal law to disclose it to the New York Times. I think that the, you, you can't have this. I understand why they put in the secrecy, but it, it's not good. It was undermining faith in safe sport. And I just a little bit of me, I don't like how it conveniently it was linked so they could save safe sport without making the necessary reforms to the way it's actually set up. And we, we did talk about this is actually interesting because before we were debating, should safe sport just be minor amateur sport and you know, just minor sports, just my 18 under 18. But this is actually an example of what we don't know if it's an adult, but assuming it is an adult, this would be why you might want to have it for adults. But I don't know. There's so many millions of people and so many millions of coaches. Imagine how massive this organization is going to have to be, be, be get to, to handle all these cases. Some some could argue that that's why we have prosecutors or civil cases, lawsuits. Yeah, and Facebook had to act this way. I mean, it's their rules. They have to follow them. So the rules need to be changed. And Congress set up Facebook. I don't know if how these rules get set up. If Congress set the rule up this way itself or Facebook interpreted and the rules are put in place. But whatever it is, it needs to change. But, yeah, there isn't a single... I don't think there's a... Well, there's always a few crazies, but if this was what someone was, conv- I don't think anyone, there's very few people who would think a coach convicted of sexual assault should be coaching athletes. I mean, everyone would be like, of course he should be banned. So this information needs to be out there. Agreed. Well, with that, I think it's time to end this week's episode of the podcast. You know, covered a lot of ground, a lot of different topics. And on Friday, Friday 15 bonus podcast for our supporting club members. We'll be breaking down the New Balance Indoor Grand Prix. One person I did not mention today. I just checked. I am so excited because John has been raving about all the Milrose winners and who won the 3K. I've already forgot, John. 
Jordy Beamish, lead some Alicia Monson. Jordy Beamish is the name I was thinking of. How he won the three K Milrose. What was the time there, John? Seven thirty nine. Well, one person who will be at the New Balance Indoor Grand Prix, I don't think BMS is going back, is New Balance athlete Adele McCall. Now, he might have won Melrose if he was in. This guy's pretty damn good, right? I mean. He was fifth in the Olympic 1500 final. Yeah, and he's been doing some crazy shit this winter. He's run one, two, four races already in January. 2750 road 10k but over the weekend this is impressive to me he was 736 in Kalru. so he was second there which is faster than anyone at Melrose ran and then two days later so that was on friday on sunday he wins the spanish xc title this guy's a baller and now he's flying over here to race so before we bow down to the on athletics clubs for forever gotta remember new balance has some good athletes they just don't all necessarily train here and if you want me to bow down to your athletes on a permanent basis, become the official shoe of LegendRun.com by contacting me. We, I don't think we hashed that out enough. We'll do like a 20-year Nike deal, right? We'll do it at half the USATF sponsorship value. How much was that, John? $300 million? I think it was more. It might have been more than that. Yeah, wait. Yeah, the rule is if the, if the offer is really, really good, we won't even bid it out to anyone else. We'll just take take your offer. We got no problem not bidding this out. We'll hire that firm too. They can take a commission. <laughs> we got no problem. Max Siegel was a genius, actually, the more I think about it. Someone throws $150 million your way, you take it. That's true. You can 20 years, $20 million will be called hypocrites. And the, and the Nike Excess can take, they can take 25%. Just think about it. If you become like a $5 billion company, this is just a sliver. It's a penny. Or a dime. It's a dime your way, our way. And this Adel McCall guy, I was looking him up. Spanish guy. I didn't even know who he was. Fifth in the Olympics, 330.77, one spot ahead of Cole Hawker. You guys haven't heard of him? Like, he was fourth at the World Championships in 2017. It's not like, he, like he's been a world-class miler for a number of years. I'm kind of surprised you guys are, like, acting as if he's come from nowhere. Just looked him, just Googled an image of him, John. Definitely wouldn't have been able to identify him by name. I've seen him before. I wasn't trying to say I'd never heard of him. I'm just trying to point out that there's a lot of darn good runners and we never talk about. Okay, Will Sumner, also the high school star who just broke the 600 record. He's running the 800 against the pros at New Balance in Staten Island. That'll be fun. So yeah, listen to our preview on the Friday 15. If you're not a supporters club member, Go to letsrun.com slash subscribe. That grants you access to all of our podcasts and all of our articles that go behind the paywall. We had one on the Union Athletics Club a couple weeks ago. But we will see you next week. Lots of people signed it up last week for some reason. Appreciate it.